Hi, my name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to Grand Valley Church Online. My name is Brian, and today we are beginning our Advent series called Christmas in the Midst. Now, if Advent is something that's maybe new to you or it's a term that's unfamiliar, Advent is a season of preparation leading up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that God himself stepped into the world to make a new path for us to live in relationship with him. Now, Advent is actually not a season of celebration. It's not a feasting season, but it's a season that we keep and we mark and we remember and we prepare ourselves for the celebration of Jesus' birth. Now, a lot of our traditions around Advent and a lot of our traditions around Christmas are going to look very different this year. And so that's why we're calling this season Christmas in the Midst. Because what does it mean to find peace, joy, love, and hope in the midst of this roller coaster of a year that we've all been on? And so today we're going to be beginning with peace. And when we think about peace, we tend to think first of peace as an absence of conflict and a state of tranquility and relaxation. We think about maybe a hammock by the side of a lake on a calm day in summer, and maybe that's where you want to be right now. And I think I'm kind of with you that that would sound really wonderful right about now, even with how warm this December's been. But even though we may want that and we long that, this is not the only definition of peace. In fact, peace is a little more than just the absence of conflict. And in fact, if we spend time looking through our Old Testament scriptures and we think about what did peace mean to someone living in first century Judea around the time when Jesus was born, what did peace mean to them at that point in time? And when the Old Testament talks about peace, our scriptures refer to peace in this bigger sense of being a state of completeness and wholeness in our relationship with God. And which version of peace was meant, whether it meant the absence of conflict and and the tranquility of life, or if it's talking about this greater sense of peace, of this awareness and completeness found in our relationship with God, kind of depends on the context of the passage. And so understanding this peace in a bigger sense actually means we got to go back into the Old Testament a little bit to understand what did peace mean look like and mean at the beginning of the first century when Jesus was born. And so there's a familiar passage that talks about peace, where it talks about this from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet who lived in the 8th century BC. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in there, and this might be a familiar passage to you. And it's found in Isaiah 9, and it's this promise of the Messiah, the anointed one that God would send someday. And oftentimes when we read Isaiah 9, we read kind of the longer portion from verse 1 to verse 7, but I'm just going to read verses 6 and 7 to us here. It carries on like this. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Now, just as a quick note, this doesn't mean that the foundation for government rests upon the Messiah. What this actually means when it says will rest on his shoulders means that the Messiah will have a burden to lead. 
meaning it will be upon them to take this role of leadership, this mantle, this responsibility of leading people where they need to go. And then the verse continues, and it says, and he, referring to the Messiah, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, each of these names are also descriptions of the function and the role of the Messiah, of what they would do. They'd be this counselor, all actually referring in a bit of a legal sense here of being speaking on our behalf to God. But at the same point, the Messiah is mighty God himself, an everlasting father, and this prince of peace. Now, every king that has ever lived has wanted that title, prince of peace, to say that they brought peace to their nation. But the Messiah is the one who can actually make it happen. And it goes on, it says this in the next verse, it says, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. This is a pretty amazing promise being said about this Messiah who would one day come. And then it ends with Isaiah saying, who is making this promise? He says, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies, that's just another way of talking about God, will make this happen. Now, usually after we've read this passage, we jump right to either Matthew or Luke and we jump into the birth narrative of Jesus and we say, look at what Isaiah promised and then look at the fulfillment. But I want to pause before we go to the birth story. I want to pause because there's something happening at this exact moment of time when Isaiah is making this promise that changes how we understand it and reveals something more about this peace that God is talking about. Because when Isaiah said this, the nation of Israel was about to be attacked and defeated by Assyria. The nation of Israel in the north and even Judah in the south, they were both filled with anxiety and turmoil over what to do as a country. Now, they weren't democratically elected. They weren't able to elect their king. They just had to follow with whatever the king decided for them. And at the time, some people were likely saying, you know, we should just let Assyria, you know, take out the nations around us. And when they get to our doorstep, we need to make a treaty with them. Or maybe they're saying we need to fight. We need to prepare ourselves for battle. And so if we go to Isaiah 8, right before this promise of the Messiah, I want to share with you a little bit of what Isaiah says here. And this is what he tells the nation of Israel and Judah. And he tells them this. He says, Huddle together, you nations, and be terrified. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Yes, prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. And any time a prophet repeats something like that, they mean this is really happening for sure. And he goes on, he says, call your councils of war, but they will be worthless. Develop your strategies, but they will not succeed, for God is with us. Not exactly the pep talk that the nation of Israel wants at that moment. He says, you know, plan for battle, but you're not going to win. You will not succeed against this mighty army of the nation of Assyria. And then he ends with that line. He says, for God is with us. And that might sound out of place to you. Because typically, when someone uses God is with us, they say it almost more as a rallying cry, as a battle cry of saying, God is with us. God is going to give us the victory. This is a claim of victory before the battle has even begun. But when Isaiah says this, he is actually saying one of the names of the Messiah. He's actually saying Emmanuel, 
meaning God with us. See, what Isaiah is saying and what he is telling the people of Israel and Judah is that even though they will be defeated by Assyria, God is still with them. Now, later on, Assyria, within two years of Isaiah saying this, is going to come in and conquer them. And then a little less than 200 years later, Assyria gets conquered by the nation of Babylon, and then Babylon is the nation that conquers Judah. And so within 200 years of Isaiah saying this to the people, neither Israel or Judah have their sovereignty anymore. But what Isaiah is saying is that even though this is going to happen, God is still with you. And so I could almost imagine being one of the Israelites, hearing this prophet of God giving this message, and either you want to dismiss him, or you want to stone him, or you are feeling deep despair. Probably one of those three options. But Isaiah follows up the warning of destruction with the first verses of that Isaiah 9 passage that might be familiar to you. Isaiah says this, he says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. He says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness a light will shine. See, this is a promise of what will come in the future to them. But Isaiah doesn't give a timeline. He doesn't say if this will happen in their lifetime or their children's lifetime. In fact, this only comes to happen about 700 or so years later. Because in 722, Assyria conquers Israel, exactly what Isaiah promised. And then later, Babylon comes in, conquers Judah, and they're not free anymore. And you might be wondering at this point why I am talking about the conquering of Israel and Judah in an Advent sermon about peace. But here's what I think this illustrates, and here's where this connects back. When Isaiah is talking about peace in the middle of these promises of defeat, What he is reminding the people is that the path to peace is not always a peaceful journey. The path to discovering the peace of God, that completeness and wholeness, is not always a peaceful journey that is free of conflict and free of issues and is just tranquil and relaxing and just walking in a a pleasant meadow the whole time. In fact, the path to peace is often difficult. And one of the things that describes that so well is the story of Jesus' birth. Now, our Christmas carols portray this as very tranquil and serene, but the real story was anything but. And if we go to just after Jesus is born, at some point after Jesus' birth, within the first two years, these wise men arrive from the far east. And we don't know exactly who these wise men were or even how many they were. But there are some interesting theories and some interesting evidence that points to these wise men came from Babylon and were likely descendants of the Jews that were from Judea, that were conquered by Babylon, and they were the ones that stayed behind when the second exile ended and when people were free to move back to Jerusalem. 
There's a, a lot of evidence that suggests these wise men, they knew their history, but they had seen the star rise in the east. Whatever that looked like, whatever that meant at that time, we don't know exactly. But they came, and they came to Jerusalem, and they came to King Herod, who was the king at the time, who was placed there by Rome. The whole area is under Roman rule at the time, and so King Herod is a puppet king. And these wise men come, and they go to Herod, and he says, well, go find and search for this new king. But when you find him, let me know. But the wise men were warned, and they don't go back to Herod. They just return straight back to Babylon. And Matthew 2 tells us this. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. Now, this might sound extreme that Herod wants to kill this boy that's two years old and sees him as a threat. But at this time and King Herod was a tyrant, especially later in his rule. His answer to everything was execute them. And so Matthew tells us that that very night, Joseph leaves for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there in Egypt until Herod's death. Can you imagine being on the run, a refugee from your own country, your own hometown, having to flee to a foreign nation with a young child and having to be there and wait for the king to die before it's safe to return. Not exactly what our Christmas carols sing about. Now, that doesn't mean we stop singing our Christmas carols because we can declare and pursue the peace of God even in difficult circumstances. That is what the Christmas story illustrates to us. And another thing that happens in the way getting to that peace requires something of us. See, finding this peace of God requires spiritual formation to happen in our lives. That means our understanding of who God is, what shapes who we are spiritually, needs to grow and be formed in order for us to discover this peace that God has for us. And so if we rewind the story a little further, if we rewind the story to when Mary was first visited by the angel Gabriel, when she gets told that she is going to give birth to the Messiah, her first reaction is really terror. She's scared out of her mind that this angel has appeared to her. And then as the angel speaks, she starts asking questions saying, well, how can this happen? These are questions of disbelief. And finally, the last thing she says to the angel is a hopeful acceptance that what the angel has said might be true. She says, may everything you have said come to pass. That is not an agreement. That is not Uh, understanding that this is going to happen. She just says, well, hopefully this will happen, what you've told me. And it's not until she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant at the time and is going to give birth to John the Baptist. It's finally at that moment that what is happening clicks for Mary, and she starts realizing that this is truly what's going to happen. Her understanding of who God is and what God is doing grew in that time period, in that difficult circumstance. In fact, when we are in difficult circumstances, our spiritual formation can be accelerated. What we choose to lean on, what we choose to, to listen and to listen to, how we lean on our faith, how we learn from each other in difficult circumstances can have a profound effect on our own spiritual formation. See, 
Mary and Joseph faced these difficult circumstances leading up to and after Jesus' birth. But they knew that Jesus would be this Prince of Peace. That the kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating, that Jesus was bringing into existence with his life, with his teachings, with his death and the resurrection and the ascension, that all of this would lead to something better, that this was leading to what God has always been working towards. This is what can make us complete and whole in our relationship with God. This is the bigger sense of peace that is going to happen. This is a new path that God is giving that is not dependent upon earthly kingdoms. And this brings spiritual renewal, spiritual formation, discipleship to anyone who chooses to walk that path. And what we learn as we are renewed and formed by Christ and by the Holy Spirit working in us is that unwavering peace is possible when we discover that peace is not only based on our current circumstances. That deeper sense of peace, that completeness and wholeness in our relationship with God can happen no matter what our circumstances are. So there may be conflict for a time. There may be difficult situations. We're all living through one right now. But even in that, we can find peace in who Christ is, in who God is, and what he has called us to be. And so I want to encourage you that we can seek both forms of this peace. We can seek that peace in any circumstance we are in. And so what does that look like? And so I want to frame this by giving us two questions to kind of end on today to think about. And the first one is this, saying, am I living in a way that encourages peace? This requires us to look at our own actions. And Paul, the apostle, when he's writing to the church of Rome, he includes this line in it. And he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And what this means is that conflicts will happen. We will have difficult circumstances. We will have differences. We will have things we have to work through. But don't just sweep conflicts under the rug. Don't just try to push them aside because false peace is no peace at all. But also in this is an understanding that peace does not require uniformity. It's not going to require us to agree with everything 100%. In fact, we will have differences, and peace means learning to work within those because of the bigger peace that God offers. And that leads to the second question of saying, am I pursuing the completeness and wholeness that God offers to us? Am I pursuing that deeper peace that Isaiah knew about, even in the midst of their nation about to fall to a foreign nation, the peace that Mary learned about and discovered as she realized that what the angel came to tell her was the truth. And as her faith grew and understood, and she sings this beautiful song of praise in the gospel of Luke in response to her realizing that this is really going to happen. But are we pursuing this new path that Jesus came into the world to offer us? This new path to God, this new covenant, the new kingdom that we can have this completeness and wholeness in God. So even in the middle of this crazy year we're having, even in the midst of a Christmas that will be unlike other Christmases we've experienced before, we have opportunities to be peacemakers, both in the world around us and within ourselves, to seek the peace that God offers. And that's my prayer for you 
this Advent season, that we can be peacemakers, both in us and around us and with those we are interact with this season, that we can demonstrate that peace, that we can have our foundation firmly planted on Christ, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And that's my prayer for you. And next week, we are going to continue this series by talking about joy and how we can still find joy in the midst of everything. So that's all for today. I hope you have a great Sunday or whatever day of the week it is when you're watching this uh, and hope to see you online next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening.